bringing hope to many around the globe, transforming lives into legacy. Living Word with Pastor Mensah Otobu. And now, today's word. Today we do the second part of our message, and uh, we are focusing on God as omnipotent creator. Omnipotent creator. The God who is eternal is also omnipotent, and he is creator. And that's how uh, the Bible introduces us to God uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which we read last week, which we read again today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's how God is introduced in the Bible to us. Um, he is a creator, and that's a very powerful word. And we're going to look at uh, the two words I used in my title. The first one is the word omnipotent. Omnipotent. What does it mean when we say God is omnipotent? It means he has all power to do what he wills to do. He has all power to do what he wills to do. It's a big statement about God. He is omnipotent. Omni means all, and potent means power. So he literally has all power to do what he wills to do. And I want you to pay attention to how I have defined it. I didn't just say he has all power. Neither did I just say that he can do everything. Uh, I said that God has all power to do what he wills to do. So when we look at the Bible, we see God as the first cause of the universe. He's the one who is causing all things to be. He creates the heavens and the earth. He has all power. And the reason why we say he has all power is because there's no one here mentioned as helping God, aiding God, or assisting God in any way to do what he's doing. He's doing everything all by himself. He's not doing it in response to prayer. He's not doing it in response to a need. He's not doing it because somebody told him to do it. He's not doing it because somebody enabled him to do it. He's doing it all by himself. All the power needed for creation came from him. There is no power outside of him when we talk about the created universe. He is omnipotent. Sometimes this phrase uh, gets uh, people into trouble. You know, in our declaration, we say that with God, nothing is impossible. With God, uh, there are other ways to uh, address it. Uh, we can say nothing is too hard for God. God can do anything. And recently, a popular one uh, that came up is what God cannot do does not exist. And uh, for a few years, there was a huge debate whether that is a theologically accurate statement or it was false uh, uh, statement. Um, 
when we say God can do everything, of course, nobody means that God can act against himself. And that's why we define omnipotence in the will of God. God can do all things according to his will. So when people say what God cannot do does not exist, they are not saying that uh, everything then, God will do everything, including tell a lie. No, God cannot act against himself. God cannot lie. God cannot uncreate uh, creation. And God cannot create himself. And God cannot end himself. God cannot, at any point, says, I'm no longer God. It's impossible for him not to be who he is. So there are things that God cannot do. But, yes, I agree. What God cannot do does not exist. <laughs> yes, he can do all things. But all according to his will. His will is prominent there. So God is omnipotent. He has all power to do what he wills to do. The second thing, uh, word we want to define is that God is the creator. God is the creator. What does that mean? It means he actively and purposefully brought all things into existence. He used his omnipotence to create all things in the universe. There is no creator outside of him. And though he created all things, he himself is uncreated. He did not become, he is. He is, has always been, and will always be. He created the heavens and the earth. Now, just a little aside here, um, because sometimes you know, people have questions in their minds. And, you know, when you're preaching, people don't get to ask, raise up their hands and ask a question, Pastor, what about that? So I try to anticipate the kind of questions people will be thinking and try to answer them whilst I'm preaching. And, and, and some I may not be able to answer immediately here, but I hope that over the course of the teaching, uh, I can answer some of those questions. So this passage in Genesis chapter 1 talks about the creation of the heavens and the earth. But we also know that there are angels and, and so on and other spiritual beings. And, and so the question is, at what point were they created? Were they created before the heavens and the earth were created? Were they created during the time the heavens and the earth were created? I don't know. Just to let you know, I don't know. Because I was not there. I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, later on when you read the Bible, it says that the angels rejoiced when the earth was being formed. So that gives us a clue that uh, somewhere between the creation of the heavens, and then later the coming into being of the earth, somewhere in between, the angels most likely uh, were created. And if I have clarity on when exactly they were created, I will come and tell you. But, but uh, this one talks about the creation of the heavens and the earth, and we don't want to overstretch it uh, there. All right. So go to Hebrews chapter 11, Verse 3. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So here the Bible is giving us a, a further clue as to how God created the universe and God created the earth and, and all the planetary bodies, the worlds as the passage puts it. Uh, 
And the passage says that God created what is visible from what is invisible. God created what is visible from what is invisible. He created the seen from the unseen. He created the material world from the spiritual world. There is first the spiritual and then later the physical or the natural or the material. So it gives us a clue as to how God does things. He doesn't start with physical things. He starts from spiritual things and then the spiritual things produce the material things. And it's not only about the creation of the heavens and the earth, but it's about every way in which God works in our lives. That when God wants to do something for you, he does it in the spiritual realm before it manifests in the material world. Our conditioning as human beings is we want to see it material before we can believe it. But God says you have to first believe it spiritually before it becomes material. He creates the seen from the unseen. Every blessing you want from God first starts spiritually. Then it becomes material. So if you're always walking by what you see, you walk by sight and you don't see it, you get depressed, I don't have it, oh, I don't have it, it's not happening. Uh, It's going to be difficult for you to walk by faith. The pastor says, by faith, we understand that God created the worlds or framed the worlds by his word. His word is spirit because God is spirit. And the things we see were made from things we do not see. There are things you don't see now that God has already made. I'm saying again, there are things you don't see now that God has already made. There are things in your life you don't see and may not see this year and may not see for the next two years, but God has already framed it and made it. It's done. How can we say it's done? It's done in the unseen, the spiritual world, and it will become material in your timeline. The things we see are made from things we do not see. God creates from the spiritual into the physical. And if you're going to walk by faith, you have to learn this principle. You have to learn this principle. When you learn it, sometimes you learn to... Stay cool. I say you learn to stay cool. When you have prayed and prayed and seen nothing, you know God has already done it because the unseen finishes it before the seen manifests it. By faith, we understand that the things, the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things we see we're made by things we do not see. What we see is the world. What we do not see is the word. The word of God is not seen. The world is seen. And the one which we see came from the one we don't see. The word of God produces the world. And that's going to be how you walk by faith in your life. God says it. I believe it. That settles it. God says it. I believe it. That settles it. God says it, I believe it, that settles it. Let's say it together. God says it, I believe it, that settles it. When you move in that premise, there is a settlement in your heart.
that what I don't see yet has already been framed by God. He's already done it in the realm of the spirit. God is a creator. He doesn't create the physical first. He doesn't create the seen first. He starts with the unseen and then comes gradually to the scene. And you have to operate by that same spirit of faith. He creates what is visible from what is invisible. Now, when you read through the book of Genesis and you start from uh, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and as you progress, you see that uh, God makes many things and all kinds of things are happening and there is uh, light and there are firmaments and, and, and then the plants are coming and animals are coming. So God is making all things. Everything doesn't end in one, one. God created heavens and the earth, but things continue to happen. So when we talk about God as creator, there are different processes in God's creative methodology. In other words, God makes things in different ways. Uh, as Genesis chapter 1 tells us, and as we go along uh, studying the chapter, we'll see that. But I just wanted to bring this to your attention since we are talking about God as creator. And there is a passage in the Bible that uh, captures this nuanced projection or understanding of God as creator. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 18, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. I'm going to read it and I'm going to ask you to underline some words in that chapter because it, it tells us in different ways in which God makes things. It says, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. It's a very, very interesting passage. I love the scriptures and these are some of the scriptures that you, know, you, you engage with and try to figure out what the Bible is truly teaching us about what we call our reality. For Words that I, I'm going to comment on, but underline them. The first is created, the second is formed, the third is made, and the fourth is established. All these are different aspects of God's creative words. Different aspects. So I'll take each one of them and speak about them. First one uh, is that God creates. That's what the passage says, God creates, the Hebrew word that is translated create is bara, bara. Bara means to create or to make. It is a verb that has significant theological influence in how we understand God. Now, this is not the only time when the word bara is used in the Bible. It is used many times in the Bible. It means to create something. But in Genesis chapter 1, when the Bible uses the word bara, it has a very special meaning. Because every other time subsequently in the Bible where bara, create, is used, there is something out of which something is created. So if somebody 
uh, makes a pot, and the Bible calls, uh, says it's bara, he's created a pot. There was clay before he made the pot. So uh, there was something, and then he made something out of it. But when God uses bara, or the Bible uses bara, create here, there was nothing. There was nothing. Then God created. So this bara in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, has no comparison with bara anywhere else in the Bible because this is the only time bara occurs when there is nothing else. So we say that in this sense, bara means God created things out of nothing. He made things out of nothing. And that's what we learn from God here, that he can make things out of nothing. When there is zero, he can create one. When there's nothing, God can make things happen. So, anytime you see this word, only in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 does it mean creating out of nothing. Subsequently, it doesn't mean that. Because if we say, for example, an artist has created an artwork. It's creative. He's created a piece. Maybe it's Picasso or Rembrandt or Van Gogh or somebody else. And they've created or made sort of, and they paint something nice. Uh, and, and, and people say, oh, that's a creative artist. And I'm a creative artist, by the way. Uh, we, we can say he's created, but he got paint. He got easel. He got brush. So the thing didn't appear from nowhere. He had to use the things which are to create something. So although he has barad, it has, it, it's not the same as God barad in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Because in God's case, there is nothing, then out of nothing, he creates the heavens and the earth. In that sense, God creates and makes things out of nothing. The second word you'll find in Isaiah 45 verse 8 is, is, is the word form, that God forms. God forms. The Hebrew word is yatsar. And it means to form, to mold, or to fashion something. And this word is used several times, especially in Genesis chapter 1 and many times in the Bible. But I like how Isaiah puts it. Isaiah used bara for the heavens and yatsar for the earth. God created the heavens and formed the earth. In other words, God created the universe and out of the universe formed this terra firma that we live on called earth. The word formed is very, very important. It means that God can make new things out of what he has already made. God can make new things out of what he has already made. That word is used for the creation of man in Genesis chapter 2. God formed man from the dust of the earth. He didn't create man from the dust of the earth, but he formed man. Why does the Bible use form? Because the earth was there already. The dust was there already. God has already created the dust and then out of what he has already created, he forms something new. That means that God's work is not finished just by one action. He can start something in your life, and then he can form something new out of what he has already done in your life. God can start from nothing, 
and do something. But after he has done something, he can take that something and do something else with it. He can form, he can fashion, he can mold. So God is not just the one who brings things out of nothing, but he can also take what has already been done and do something new with it. When we sing the song, do something new in my life, something new, we don't mean God created me again. God, you've already made me, but I want you to take this life and mold it into something else and do something fresh, something new, something awesome in my life. God can take what is already existing in your life and mold it differently. And the interesting thing about the Yatsar that the Bible uses here is that, you know, it formed animals, formed plants, formed human beings. In other words, what God forms is not the same. He can do different things out of the same raw material. He can do strange things, beautiful things, awesome things out of the same source. God is able to do things out of nothing. But after he has done that, he can take what he has done and mold something new out of it. The third word that Isaiah uses is close to the word yatsar. It's asar. Asar. It means to make, to do, to work, to perform. It has a slightly different implication. In other words, it means that God can make things happen. God can make things happen. God can work in your life and make things happen. It's not only in terms of the material things. He can make day and night. And day and night is not physical. He can make things happen in my life. So he can create things out of nothing. He can take what he has done and do something new with it. And then he can make things happen. So for example, when we say God will make a way where there is, seems to be no way. God will make a way where there is no way. Now, when we say God will make a way, we don't mean that he'll create something physical. It's not physical. God making a way for me is not that he, will, he would actually go and, and cut a path like a contractor does. We just mean that God will create opportunity for me. God will turn things around for me. So the God who can create physical things can also make things happen in your life. Where there is no way, he will make a way. When you are down, he can lift you up because God can assar. He can fashion things. He can make things happen. And may God cause things to happen in your life. So look at the three senses in which God works. He can make things out of nothing. He can take the things he has made out of nothing and do something new for them. And then he can make a way. He can make things happen for the thing that he has made. So when God makes you, he also makes a way for you. He creates a path for you. God can make things happen. And the fourth word that Isaiah uses is the word kun. In the Hebrew, it means to establish. God establishes. It means to be instituted, to be unshaken, to be prepared. God makes things be. But he also establishes what has been made. In other words, 
after he had created the heavens and the earth, he has formed it. He has made a path for the earth. And those who study uh, astronomy will talk about the orbits within which every created thing moves in. Every created thing moves in a prescribed orbit. Whether it's a, it's a galaxy, it's a planet, it's a sun, uh, it's a star, they have to move in a path that God creates for them. In the same way, when God creates us, he establishes us. He establishes us. What does it mean? It means that he gives us what is required to sustain us. He sustains what he has made. When God created the heavens and the earth, he gave the laws of physics, the laws of chemistry, laws of cause effect, cause and effect, every law required to sustain what he has done, he puts it in place. So when we say God is a creator, it has serious implications. And I'm going to talk about three of those implications uh, and then I'll, I'll be done for today. Three implications of God being omnipotent and creator. The first is that God is my creator, maker, and owner. God is my creator, maker, and owner. Let's say it together. Maker and owner. This is serious. And that's why he has rights on you. You belong to him. You didn't make yourself. And not only did God create us, God did not create us and leave it by the wayside, but he also owns us. And the thing about ownership is that the owner can do whatever he wants to do with the thing that he has made. And God can do anything with you. Anything. Your life is his. He owns us. We don't know, we don't own ourselves. And he doesn't want us to give our ownership to anything else. That's why he says you shall have no other gods besides me. If you make something else your God, that is the only time God says, I'm a jealous God. He didn't say I'm an envious God. He says I'm a jealous God. Jealous means I protect what I have, what is mine. I protect it. And I protect it with every force at my disposal. So if God, if you go and make somebody else or something else your God, God has to step in and correct it because you are his property. Don't give ownership of your life to any God and neither should you give ownership of your life to any human being. Don't give the ownership of your life to any human being. Not to your pastor, not to your wife, not to your husband, not even to your parents. Parents have responsibility, but they are not owners. That's why a parent cannot look at a child and say, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Because if the parent kills the child, it's murder. Why? Because he's not an owner. As a matter of fact, you don't own yourself. You kill yourself, it's a crime. If we had the chance, we will imprison you. We call it suicide. It's a crime. You can't. Why? Because you don't own yourself. If you own yourself, we'll say suicide is fine. But if you kill yourself, we should imprison you. <laughs> Why? You don't own yourself. 
Husbands, you don't own your wives. Wives, you don't own your husbands. Parents, you don't own your children. Pastors, you don't own the flock. Who is the owner? God. Why is he the owner? Because he's the creator and the maker. And he's the only one who can say, I own this. God owns me. I'm God's property. He has put his mark on me. He's put his image on me. In modern times, we say his brand. You know, if, if you bought an Amani suit, Amani will put his brand in the suit. He'll put a mark, and wherever people see that suit, they'll know this is Amani's suit. You bought it, but it's Amani's suit. Amani is the owner of this suit. He's loaned it to you for $1,000, but he's the owner. In the same way, when you check your life, at the back of your neck somewhere, there is a brand that says... Jehovah owns you. God owns you. You are God's property. He's your maker and he's your owner forever. God owns us. And that is why when people want to mess with you, he protects you. And somebody says, God kill him. God says, are you crazy? That's my property. You want me to kill my own children? No. That's for another day. So God is my creator, maker, and owner. Secondly, I am here because God wants me to be here. I didn't choose to come to the earth. We are not here by accident. God willed our existence. He determined that we should be born. Your parents may think they brought you, but God used them. That's why no matter who your parents are, you have to know who your owner is. You have to know who your owner is. If I go to find an Amani suit at the wayside with nobody claiming ownership of it, I still know who is the owner because his image has been branded. An Amani suit or a top suit if it's thrown away, it still has value. Don't ever say people dump me, people have thrown me out, nobody loves me, nobody cares for me. But you have an owner. You have an owner. And the owner decided that you should be born. And he decided you should be born at the time you were born. If he had not willed it, you would never be born. Yes. If God says, I don't want you, you won't come. You are here because he wants you. And he wants you because he has a purpose and a use for you. I am here because God wants me to be here. Final implication. God is continually working in me to make me fit for his purpose. The creator doesn't just do one work. He continues to do his work in our lives. So that even when I mess up, God does not just take me and kick me and say, oh, this is a wasted product. He takes me and remolds me. When you go wrong, God takes you and remolds you. You lose your way, he creates another way for you because he's a way maker. God, your creator, doesn't just create you, but he creates the environment and space you live in. 
and he creates the opportunities that come your way, and he creates the times and seasons of your life so that you were made by him and you live in his ecosystem. It is in him we live and move and have our being. We don't just have our being in him. We live in him and we move in him. Listen, your life is not an accident. There is a plan that has already been fixed in the unseen and it is manifesting in your life. All you need to do is to say, Lord, let your perfect will be done in my life. I don't understand what I'm going through. I don't understand what is happening, but I know, Lord, that you have a plan for my life and my life is going according to plan. And that is what we learn when we know God as creator. Father, this morning we pray that each one of us will know you as the creator, not only of our lives, but also of the world we live in, the path we follow, for you have made a path for us. You have opened a way for us. I pray, Father, for each one that we will find value in our lives and we'll find purpose in the opportunities that you give to us, that no one of us would live a life of despair and hopelessness, thinking that all is lost, but that in you will find meaning and purpose and direction. And I pray for you, that God who created you would also order your paths, that if you've lost your way, you will see the new way he has opened for you. That if people have thrown you out, you'll see the hand of God bringing you in because your creator never abandons you. In life and in death, he's your creator forever. And he will lead and guide you in the way that you should go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Living Word. To interact with Pastor Mensah Otebile, like his page on Facebook. Follow him on Twitter at Mensah Otebile. Email otebile at centralgospel.com or call plus 233-302-688-000.